Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're going to look at some of the changes in Beta 2 of iOS 16. Some new features have come to light. Also, what Macs are not getting macOS Ventura, iWork updates, and a ton more. This episode is brought to you by Truebill, Superbeats Heart Shoes, New Relic, and Incogni. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. Still thinking about how William destroyed Moof last week. Uh, Claire's the dog cow. Like, what in the world? Like, he just <laughs> hates her. I'm just, I guess. wow. I have a t-shirt and everything. I was wearing it when I was listening to the podcast. I was just ashamed. It's like, wow. Now, wait a minute. I know I know you're a little younger than I am. So were you aware of Claris the dog cow before this whole, you know, Ventura thing? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, Claris has popped up multiple times throughout Apple's history and uh, just oh, okay. something I discovered early. I don't know, reading about it on some form or something. I wasn't there. So sure, sure. I, I, I didn't, <laughs> you know, set up a print screen with Claris, but I have definitely seen the image. And uh, I, I remember some podcast somewhere discussing the history of it. And I always thought it was pretty interesting. That is interesting. And a uh, faithful listener, Lewis emailed me. He remembers Claris the dog cow. I'm sure some of you Mac veterans out there. All right, we got a bunch of grab bag stuff, things that have come out of the new beta beta 2 developer beta 2 is now out and available if you're running those betas beta life i know wes has got the beta i'm still running it on my ipad i have not slinked back into the public release i'm still holding out seeing if it'll uh, work so we're going to jump into that three five-star review shout outs real quick pk from the usa timey pilot 84 from the usa that's an interesting name and then i don't know if i'm gonna say this right dan Barrow 00 he's actually from brazil international listeners so thank you for those five-star reviews and now iOS 16 beta 2, a couple of new features that have come out, at least that we uh, weren't aware of before. You'll actually now be able to back up to iCloud over cellular connections. Previously, you had to be connected to power and connected to Wi-Fi for your devices to back up to iCloud. And now you'll be able to do it over cellular. I imagine that will be a manual process. I can't imagine that's going to automatically happen. Have you seen this option pop up on your devices since upgrading? Yes, uh, there's a toggle in your iCloud backup settings that says allow backup over cellular. I think it just means that if you're either just never have a Wi-Fi connection, there are people out there who live entirely off of cellular. I rarely get Wi-Fi, right? Other countries yeah. and stuff, maybe not the United States. This would be a handy option for that. Or if you're just, you know, leaving the home and there happens so you back up running in the background, you're not aware of it. Well, it can continue without any issues. There's all those uh, unlimited, quote unquote, cellular plans and stuff. So it nice. shouldn't impact most people. So turning that on is not a bad deal. Uh, one of those background tasks you really shouldn't be aware of anyway. And now you'll do it while you're out and about, I guess. That's fine. Yeah. You know, since running the beta on my iPad Pro, I've been using my iPad mini a little less just because, you know, I want to get to know the beta and all that. And my iPad mini gave me that warning of your iPad has not been backed up in over two weeks. And I said, oh, oh man, mini. I'm sorry. I think I plugged it in. I think I backed it up. Also, some updates to messages. So you actually be able, if you have a dual SIM iPhone, you know, you can actually do an eSIM and a normal SIM on your iPhone. You can now split your messages and see which ones are to which SIM. You can filter messages based on whichever phone number they're being sent to in the messages app. And a new mail feature, it's going to show the logo for digitally certified mail. And apparently there's a system called Brand Indicators for Message Identification or BIMI. And so if you get an email from like Amazon, even if you don't have them in your contacts and obviously you don't have a profile set for them, profile photo, you'll actually get a little Amazon logo automatically in the mail app. And this might seem like a little thing, but I do think this is a huge benefit because the amount of spam email 
that I get, but also that my friends and family get, and they will forward me emails. And they're like, is this spam? What do I do with this? And I think this is a great uh, kind of system to be able to confirm, yes, this is them. I would almost like this in messages also, because I don't know about you, Wes, but I get a ton of spam text messages, even a lot of them purporting to be AT&T or like click this link for something. And it's super spammy. And again, like I have friends and family ask me about Stuff like that. Is that legit or not? So I, I don't know. I did not, I was not aware of the system before and I kind of want it everywhere now that I know about it. Yeah. I mean, I have my phone pretty well locked down. So message filters and spam filters and stuff for iMessage and SMS. The ones I get through, what's interesting now is, uh, I don't know how much you've used it, but the iMessage for business is pretty prevalent now. I, I used it the other day yeah. to talk to Spectrum to get a modem set up. Like It's just a normal thing you can do now with businesses. And I like that they get their own little icon and logo. If if you're not communicating directly with a business through text, just uh, delete every text you get that says it's a business. I mean, that's <laughs> it's pretty simple. Ignore it. It's spam. Maddening. Yeah, um, yeah. it's spam. But uh, the mail thing I thought was really cool. I've been a nerd you know, with the contacts app and with uh, keeping up with known addresses, known information. So I was always thinking like, should I, you know, save this Verizon correspondent email or this uh, Best Buy email or whatever for my billing account or what what have you. So when it comes through, it will never go through the spam filter by accident or because Apple can be aggressive with that. And right. I think this system will actually just do all that for me. I won't have to manage my own, you know, brand contact library or whatever. Right. I've, I've always been of the mind that there should be a digital phone book that everyone just has in their phone that says this is all of the known like actual real email or phone numbers and that should pop through. And I oh, think this is kind of a version of that. I, I would kind of love that because I usually keep the toggle on my iPhone. If you go to settings, you go to phone, silence, unknown callers. That means any phone number not already in your contacts will go directly to voicemail. It won't actually ring your phone. I typically leave that on, except when I'm expecting a call from like a health insurance company or a financial institution, or, you know, I did one of those things where you call and they're like, the wait time is 18 hours. So we'll call you back. And so you got to like leave that toggle off to make sure whatever number it's coming through. I would love some kind of mass directory to say, if I'm expecting United Healthcare to call me, I can just, you know, they're, they're going to come through. But any other unknown callers, you know, I can leave that toggle on. So there's a free idea for someone out there. Go and gather all the business information of the world and put it into (laughs) a single directory and put it in an app or put it in a Siri shortcut. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Now, I would also say I I say this tip periodically because, you know, every day someone's born that uh, never watched the Flintstones. I think that's a saying. Merlin Mann says it anyway. Merlin Mann says it. In your email, whatever you use, Gmail, Outlook, whatever, if you want to cut down on your spam email, create a filter that says whenever the words unsubscribe or manage email preferences or update email preferences, whenever those words appear in the body of an email, immediately file that email to a folder and skip the inbox. And I guarantee it will cut down on like 80% of your junk mail. I've done it across my accounts and it is a lifesaver. I still check that folder periodically just in case someone sent me an important email with the word unsubscribe in it for whatever reason, but it's pretty rare. And that filter typically cuts down a ton on like newsletters and deal emails like from different companies or whatever. So just a little tip for you. You should try it. Another new feature in iOS 16 beta 2 is a bypass captcha. And so you'll be able to go to your Apple ID, password and security, 
and then something called automatic verification. And when you visit a website with a CAPTCHA, there's apparently some handshake that goes on in the background between Apple and the website. And you'll actually be able to skip some of those CAPTCHAs once you update to iOS 16. And of course, I'm sure when companies actually update the CAPTCHAs on their website, but love this. And I have a story for a little later in the show about my password I'll, I'll share. But uh, yeah, I kind of love this. Yeah, the CAPTCHA system is uh, broken. It's a thousand years old. I think Google runs the most popular one. That's the one where you're clicking on buses. Yeah. But there's also like the puzzle piece one and yeah. these different ones. It's just, I wonder which ones you get to skip because all these little smaller companies making them, I wonder if they're a part of like some sort of, you know, web alliance that's enabling this. For a minute there, I thought it was like Apple's just doing it for you. I'm like, this is supposed to be detecting robots. And then Apple's just saying, you know what? Uh, our AI is smart enough to skip over this, but no, it's, it's a handshake. But I still find it interesting that we'll finally be able to kill this terror terrible, terrible system. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm hoping passkey also has a hand in websites. Being able to disable this maybe for passkey logins or whatever. I actually had to log into Dropbox today, which I, I shudder. You know, I, I'm trying to get rid of Dropbox as soon as iCloud Drive lets you share folders and files with non-Apple ID users. I'm going to kick Dropbox to the curb. Steven, I, I use Dropbox once a year. Do you know what I use it for? What's that? I install my Apple TV uh, TVOS beta using Dropbox. And that that's that's it. That's the only time I ever use it every year. How do you do it with Dropbox? So um, back when I was iPad only, I had to figure out a trick to get the profile for dev beta onto the Apple TV. Right. Because I think you can do it using Xcode or something on the. There's a comp. It's more complicated the other way. Right. But this way, you download the profile to your downloads folder, put it into Dropbox copy the link to the file, change the DL equals to one, then copy that link and paste it into a secret menu in tvOS and it downloads really? the uh, beta. Yeah. <laughs> that is fascinating. I did not know that was a thing. Uh, you'll just search install tvOS beta. There's a developer menu hidden behind i think if you go into the privacy settings uh there's a button you hit the play pause button on and it opens a secret menu for you to paste the url in <laughs> i like it i like yeah. it. yeah fun workarounds gotta love it yeah a couple more updates so airpods before if you ever wanted to jump into the airpod settings you know you actually had to connect them to your device go to bluetooth hit the little eye icon next to the airpods and then you can adjust whatever settings whether it's special audio or stuff like that. Well, and now, and I noticed this as soon as the beta was installed, when you have iOS 16, either on your iPad or your iPhone, any AirPods that are connected will prominently appear in the settings app right in that column and actually at the top. And so like my AirPods Max, which I have sitting here on like a little stand, they are basically just sitting in my settings menu. And then you can just tap in there to adjust certain things. And one of the new adjustments you can make with iOS 16 is personalized spatial audio where it'll actually use the true depth camera on your iPhone to have a face ID iPhone to actually measure things like your ears. You actually scan both sides of your head and it can actually personalize your spatial audio settings directly to your head shape. So it looks pretty cool. Andrew had a video on it. I'll put the link in show notes. Have you tried that at all? This personalized spatial audio? I need to. I keep forgetting about it, but I, I've heard it actually does change the audio for some people because again, uh, I guess there's no sensors in the headphones detecting your ear shape. It's just detecting the sound travel. Yeah. Uh, so having this extra little bit of information might be useful, especially if you have just a very peculiar ear shape or something or your ear canal shape. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean... Everybody's different. <laughs> no, you know? no, I know, I know. Ear canal shape. We're waiting for AirPods Pro 2, the second generation. And, you know, those are one of those things where those silicon tips for those earbuds or whatever, they don't stay in my ear. And that's why I get the custom comply 
little ends that you can put on your AirPods Pro that are more foam and like expandable, like earplugs. So yeah, everybody's ears are different. Well, this is a big deal in the audio world. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are Sony headphones that you can buy where you have to get like a mold of your ear made first and they'll oh, yeah. send you like a bespoke like earpiece to put in your ear. It's crazy. So I've done some live music production environments and when people want to buy like in-ear monitors for those live production oh, right, stuff, right. you know, they want something custom molds, you know, and so they mold it to your ear and some guy comes out and he pours some kind of wax material or mold Seems in your safe. ear canal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they send it away and yeah, they, they mold it specifically to you, but the, it's super complicated because then, you know, if you ever have an issue with your headphones, you got to send it away and all this kind of stuff, but people swear by them. I mean, that's kind of like what all the the pros do, I think. Yeah. Now, another new feature is the medications, which, you know, this is not new in beta two. This was during the keynote, Apple announced it and everything. And I'm excited for this medications thing because I've tried to use third party apps to track different medications, especially for one of my kids. He takes a few different pills and we're trying to figure out like reminders and stuff. There are third party apps that are okay, but not great. The new medications, Andrew again had a video talking about how to set this all up in the health app. It looks like a great system. Notifications are rich. You do even like the various pill shapes so you can recognize which pill is which. Reminds you and your family members who you give access to can see when pills are taken. I love the whole system. The one thing I wish, and I knew this was the case, but I looked for it anyways. I looked to see if the health app was available on the iPad, which it is not. You know, if you want to use this medications reminder health feature, it has to be connected to an iPhone. And I think this is kind of a miss a little bit on Apple's part, especially when you think, who is the largest segment of the population probably taking medications? It's probably those higher in age, and they might not have a cell phone or even an iPhone, but I bet you their family bought them an iPad so they can FaceTime their grandkids and kids. And so I kind of wish that some of these health features, I understand without an Apple Watch and without an iPhone, a lot of the health features are not available because it's not tracking those things. But now that they're kind of moving into non like physical metrics as far as heart rate and blood oxygen, something like medications, I wish you would be able to enable on something like an iPad. If, if anything, the iPad should have an health, a health app just to show data, just a database like you can right. enter or uh, statements and stuff. It doesn't have to, you know, you you can still attach like heart rate monitors and stuff to its Bluetooth to like That's your true. iPad and stuff. So like, I just don't see why yeah. Apple hasn't given us at least some little directory app for the health app. I mean, if you really want to, there's third party apps that do these kinds of things that like take in the health app data from your phone, sync it to the cloud and then you can download it to an iPad app. But again, like it's just three steps away from the actual data and uh, less of less efficient overall. It's just another one of those another one of those apps Apple needs to bring to the iPad other than weather and calculator. <laughs> yeah, so funny calculator's not on there. Anyway, PCALC, it's a great app. All right, well, before we go into macOS Ventura, I'll tell the story here because this made me more excited for Passkey than ever before. I was working on my Mac doing my thing, not a beta, you know, I was just doing, you know, work. And I was texting my car mechanic at the same time. I was also like trying to do a bunch of things and logging in. And I went to put in the password for one password because it was requiring, I type it in. It wasn't picking up the touch ID right then. So I went to type in my one password password and I accidentally somehow typed it to my car mechanic in our text message thread on my Mac. And I sent it. Because I didn't, I, like, I was just trying to move fast and go quickly. And I was like, huh, that's a major security breach. <laughs> and I need to never do that again. And I was just thinking, yes, 
typing one password and being able to biometrically authenticate sometimes is good. But man, I'm excited for passkey and however it's going to work where it's your biometrics that unlock things and log in. And, you know, one password is really good. But again, like sometimes you have to type in your password manually. Maybe you've been away from your computer for a time. And now realizing that I've done that by accident, it was the first time I have ever, ever done something like that. And I'm typically extremely careful. And I was like, hey, man, can you delete that text? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm going to change this password everywhere. And I didn't tell him it was a password, but I was like, I'm going to change this everywhere. But can you delete that? So I don't know. Have you ever done that? Well, you've probably never done that. Um, I don't think so. It's definitely easy enough to do. But yeah, clipboard management and stuff I have definitely sent messages to wrong chats and, and whatnot, like typing to someone and then, oh, I'm in a different iMessage completely responding to the wrong text, like get a notification on your watch and you're on your Mac and you're typing in a field and you're responding to the wrong message entirely. Yes. It, it happens to the best of us, but yeah, passwords, you know, need to die just yes. uh, very quickly. I got a thumb. I got a face. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, the soonest we can go ahead and just, as soon as passcode just starts popping up, uh, passkey starts popping up across Safari websites and apps, I'm just going to do it. Like I'm going to erase everything and, and reset and <laughs> embrace the chaotic future and hope nothing uh, catches on fire anyway. But <laughs> it's funny because biometrics are so weird too, because uh, face ID thankfully can't be spoofed very easily, even with masks and whatnot. You remember those like yes. crazy looking horror masks people were making of people's faces to try and spoof face ID. Yeah. Like, it's really hard to do. Um, if you have children who are evil or if you have an evil twin, of course, uh, those those are issues Apple has, you know, said about, if, you know, just go visit like a fairy tale leprechaun and they'll take care of your evil twin. But uh, I always lo I just love those as, like people. If you ever go on Reddit and have a conversation about biometrics, they will always bring up the evil twin thing. And I'm like, do you have an evil twin? Is this a problem you face in your day to day life? Anyway, I, I just think biometrics are interesting because it's a part of your body still like the fingerprint thing i'm definitely concerned about because uh people are talking about like celebrities getting photographed waving and then there's their fingerprints and uh oh it's, wow it, yeah yeah and they they can literally lift their fingerprints from photos because they're using these super high-res dslrs and i'm like again i i just i don't think that's gonna happen to you or me so okay <laughs> yeah and i mean it's also passkey is locked or at least a device and a biometric. It's two-factor authentication right. by default. Yeah, you right. have to have access to a device, access to a biometric at the same time. And uh, it would be a pretty difficult situation to overcome. And then again, it also falls back on device passcode. It seems like a very secure system, much more secure than what we have now, which is here's your email address, which is used for everything. And here's your password, which you probably are terrible and have only one of and use on everything. So this will at least yeah. fix that. Yeah. Speaking of emails and usernames real quick, John Syracuse complains about this all the time. I think he did so again recently, but in 2022, if a website makes you create a separate username distinct from your email address, that website is garbage. Absolutely. You should not have to do that. And it is, it is ridiculous. I had to do it the other day and I was like, it's 2022. It was like an HR type website too. Like this was not some janky deal. So anyway, I just, yeah. I just don't want no more usernames, no more passwords. Just get rid of all of it. Yeah. It's, it's nonsense. Yeah. I, I saw, I saw just one last thing on passwords. I saw a guy, I'll have to, I'll paste the link in the chat. Um, if you want to yeah, yeah. use this anywhere, uh, a guy named his actual name is Wilson Wilson. Okay. Okay. And he tried to, he tried to create an account. I, I don't know, something, some website. And he put his first name and last name in the field. And it says your first name cannot be the same as your last 
last name in this text field. <laughs> wow. I thought that was hilarious. That is that is funny. Yeah, it's tough. Anyway, passwords. I'm excited for passkey. This episode is brought to you by New Relic. If you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work, but then your phone buzzes. It's an alert. Something's broken and your mind's already racing. Is it the back end? Is it the front end? Is it global? Is it the server? Is it the network? The whole team scrambling from tool to tool, messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. But that won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and how to resolve it. That's why developers and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. The next 9 p.m. call is waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash appleinsider. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash appleinsider. Newrelic.com slash appleinsider. Our thanks to New Relic. That link is also in the episode description. Our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode and Incogni. Incogni solves one of the biggest problems we all face today, our personal data being shared and used without our permission. Everything from your address and contact details to your shopping habits, email, background, you name it, data brokers probably have it. But you actually have the right to request data brokers delete the information they have on you. It can be tricky, so Incogni does all the messy work for you automatically. You can protect your privacy by taking your personal data off the market. Simply create an account, tell them whose personal data you'd like to remove, and Incogni will reach out to data brokers on your behalf, requesting your personal data removed and dealing with any objections. So give it a try, and the first 100 people to use the promo code AppleInsider, all one word, or go to the link incogni.com slash AppleInsider, will get 20% off Incogni. That's I-N-C-O-G-N-I, incogni.com slash AppleInsider, or use the promo code AppleInsider and click the link in the episode description. Take control of your data. Our thanks to Incogni for sponsoring this episode. All right, so macOS Ventura, we got some features not coming to Intel Macs, even if they will be able to upgrade to Ventura. Macs that won't be able to update to macOS Ventura, the 2013 trash can Mac Pro, you know, I get it, it's nine years old, 2014 Mac Mini, 2015 to 2017 MacBook Pro, which I believe that that is the 13-inch like non-butterfly keyboard MacBook Pro. Is that correct? Because the butterfly keyboard like all USB-C MacBook Pro came out in 2016. 15 is the non-Magic Keyboard. 16 is when everything caught on fire. Right, exactly. Right, yes. So that was interesting that 2017 MacBook Pro will not get Ventura. 2015 to 2016 iMac or older cannot get Ventura. That includes my 4K 21-inch iMac. So that one, that one's hit the dust. And then, of course, the 2016 MacBook, that one USB-C port MacBook, won't get Ventura. Finally entering the era of computers where I owned before are no longer getting updates. Like I don't have them anymore, <laughs> but I actually own right. some of these and they're not getting updates anymore. It just makes me feel a little bit older, I guess. Yeah. Well, my, my 12 inch G4 power book hasn't gotten updates in quite a oh, while. I would say so. <laughs> quite a, quite a while. But now there are several features not coming to Intel Macs that still can update to Mac OS Ventura. Three features, notably 
live captions, which I understand that's a computational intensive process. Basically, yeah, if you're on a FaceTime call or watching a video, macOS will live transcribe basically. And so that won't be available to Intel Macs. Okay, reference mode with an iPad, fine. You know, I guess there's some kind of computational wireless, you know, pushing reference mode, high quality video. But then also emoji dictation will not be available to Intel Macs running macOS Ventura, which I, I mean, it has dictation. Like those Macs can do dictation and Siri dictation. But for some reason, emoji dictation was just too computationally costly, I guess. I wonder if it I wonder if it'll do the punctuation marks automatically on Intel Macs. You know what I mean? Like if it's yeah. able to even compute that far. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that. Apple is trying to do more on-device dictation, like especially with the iPhone and iPad. Yeah, those neural engines. The neural engines, you do have to download some speech models onto your Mac in order to do some of this dictation. So I guess maybe it's the speech models that might be intensive. I don't know. Maybe. I just thought that was an interesting <laughs> interesting omission. Yeah, just a very specific... I mean, again, all 12 people that would have used that on an Intel Mac, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> Yes. Yes. Sorry. We still uh, love you as well. Thank you for listening. All right. So there's been iWork updates. Apple really pressing forward with with iWork apps. Some features coming back from a long time gone. Pages in the latest update, this came out earlier this week. They've actually brought back mail merge. We can create personalized letters, cards, and envelopes for multiple recipients. Now, it has not been in pages for... I think it's something like 10 or 12 years. I think I saw Gruber say. So mail merges back in pages. There's new templates for like invitations and certificates. And you can now export pages documents as text files. And then Keynote also has some updates. You can add like movement and visual interest with dynamic backgrounds, some new animated themes. Then you can skip or unskip all slides in a collapsed group. So cool there for updates to numbers. I will say... I love Apple's iWork suite. When I'm making a document, especially a presentation, I'll use Keynote, I'll use Pages, I use Numbers personally, like just for my personal budget and stuff and different spreadsheets. I I just wish the collaboration features were on par with Google Docs because I still, when a lot of people are collaborating and I get requests from others, Google Docs is still the de facto. And honestly, it's still... I think the best, like the fastest responsiveness, managing any conflicts and multiple people editing the same document. I think Google Docs still has that edge, but man, I just love the iWork suite. Do you use it? Um, well, I use, yeah, the complicated. I use iWork for everything I do uh, for, for Apple Insider personally, like uh, keeping notes and pages or creating like documentation for other people to read on how to do a job that we have. But then we also have confusingly uh, Google Docs. We have like a spreadsheet with a bunch of information on it that I keep uh, stuff in. So it's funny how even even we like uh, Apple Insider use different systems depending on what's needed because yeah, like Google Spreadsheets is going to be way better than like having a shared numbers document. We've tried that before and it is very awkward and it's definitely improving. It's just, it's not up to par with Google stuff. But I mean, I don't use the collaborative stuff that often where there's multiple people in a document and their cursors are flying around. Like I just don't have a friend inviting me to a uh, uh, join a numbers doc for fun. I, it's not something that's going on. Sure. It's good to see Apple continuing to pour resources and effort uh, into their iWork suite for sure. Well, those those being free, it's definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, an awesome tool. Yeah. Well, let's touch on iPad iOS 16. Not any big differences in beta 2. Stage manager settings have been added in the settings app when you go to home screen and dock. So it's no longer just in the control center. There's actually a bespoke settings pane just for it. But you had an article talking about iPad OS 16 and 
it's making changes, but you think it's not enough. And so you've been using it since the beta one came out. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I just wanted to do a kind of an overarching story of, you know, uh, all of us iPad users have been asking for features for years and kind of just ticking off that list. What did they address and what didn't they address uh, this year at WWDC? So that's a, that's what this story is about. Basically, the Apple covered a lot of ground. Like I even asked you about this, like before WWDC, I asked I, uh, iPad users, including myself, like what would we like to see? And it was Windows style multitasking, external monitor support. Uh, background task abilities, audio intent control for like recording a podcast, clipboard history, app side loading, like with Gatekeeper on Macs, system level tools like Bartender or CleanShot X, and pro apps like Final Cut. Now, um, Apple actually ticked off several of these, and uh, we actually don't know the full extent of that list that got addressed because WWDC introduced a lot of new APIs that developers can take advantage of. So there, there's still some answers yet to be had, but I think personally that Apple still has a lot of room to grow iPad, iPad OS. This isn't the one where we're just like, wash our hands like, yep, there we go. iPad's now, you know, a full-fledged computer and you can now choose between a 16-inch MacBook Pro and an iPad Pro and do the same exact things that's that's not what happened here yeah uh ultimately like uh you know we obviously got the multitasking the external monitor support apple's promising more pro apps but that segment of the keynote didn't make any sense because they said pro apps and then then they talked about rearranging toolbars um (laughs) if you remember (laughs) that (laughs) yes that was such like you know they had a bunch of things kind of float on screen behind Craig Federighi, you know, it was a bunch of like grayed out kind of things. And I was like, I guess these are APIs or things that developers can do in their apps. But then to highlight customized toolbars as part of the pro apps features, you know, get a little technical. I know that the main keynote is really for consumers and like the general public. But I think that would have been a good place to actually state some of the technical advantages that these pro apps will be bringing. And does this actually mean pro apps? I know that didn't announce Final Cut or Logic Pro or anything, but just to go down through this real quick, like we we got quite a bit uh, outside of this list, like Apple hmm. expanding the RAM support, even adding virtual memory to M1 iPads. That's going to be a big deal, especially for like even gaming can take advantage of stuff like that. I'm I'm really excited to see what apps do because again, even though we're in the beta cycle, none of the apps are updated to up to use any of these new APIs or processes uh, unless you're lucky enough to get in a test flight. So we're not going to see a lot of this stuff come through until uh, you know September October, and even then, that'll be early development stages. So I'm I'm really excited to see what comes from iPad OS 16 as far as the updates. But on top of that, like we might see audio intent control. I think we we saw this. Uh, uh, hinted at um, because we have driver kit right. in iPad OS now, and uh, someone like uh, what was it, Wuji Rogue Amoeba, Rogue Amoeba, yeah, like uh, yep, they 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 could build an app that lets you take advantage of multiple recordings, uh, stuff like that. So, and actually record a podcast clipboard history management tools. Sorry, Steven didn't happen. No. Apple just seems to think one copy, one paste is enough. And, uh, that goes along with system level tools, like a, a paste manager tool or clean shot X didn't happen. Someone asked in the comments on this article, why would you, what's wrong with the screenshot tool on iPad OS? Why would you need clean shot X? Let me tell you, that tool is amazing. And if you haven't used it yet on a Mac, go download it right now. You need it. And even if you don't realize it, 
it's awesome. Just check it out. Yeah. And Gatekeeper, that was just thrown in because a lot of nerdy types think that we really need side loading on iPad OS, iOS. I don't personally think we need it that much, but that new developer mode that you have you have to turn on in order to use test flight apps, that seems to be mm. a hint to a future where we might actually be able to choose to download apps that aren't necessarily in the app store. And that's kind of a hopeful maybe, but signs are pointing in that direction, especially with legislation. So that's true. I just, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to know more, get into the in-depth weeds, check out that article. But I thought it was interesting to look at. Yeah. And notably, we've mentioned this, but tvOS 16 was not mentioned during the keynote, although we have dived in and there's not many changes. One of the big ones, I think we mentioned it before, but Nintendo Switch controllers will be able to be paired with Apple TV and tvOS 16. And there's like some vague lines about tvOS 16, like, quote, integrate your tvOS app with your iOS, iPadOS, or watchOS app to unlock new experiences on Apple TV, which could be like an Apple Fitness Plus Apple Watch integration. If this is now available to developers, maybe developers like fitness apps or whatever could integrate Apple Watch and their fitness app like Fitness Plus. So not sure what exactly what that is, but... This reminds me of uh, second screen experiences. If you remember those being popular on the PS3 uh, Xbox 360 generation of video games yeah, where you could have like an iPad set up with a map of Grand Theft Auto uh, you know <laughs> like, like you, you're playing on the screen you don't have to use the mini map you can look at your iPad and see where your character is like I could see apps doing that kind of stuff where again like how many people are actually going to do this how many developers are actually going to take advantage of it but i that's the kind of systems i i kind of envision from that statement uh i have no idea if that's true but again apple just being super vague i have a feeling tvos 16 is going to amount to more jellyfish and that's about it (laughs) well we'll see i'm still hopeful for maybe another not event but that tv and tvos will I don't know, making it something else, some kind of Apple Home, which we talked about this on HomeKit Insider, where Apple is actually encouraging HomeKit developers to stop using works with HomeKit. And Apple themselves have said, start labeling things Apple Home. And so the little tag you would see on like a HomeKit device, previously it would say works with HomeKit. Apple wants it to now say works with Apple Home, which Apple Home, maybe that could be something. There's been some discoveries like in the beta code about updated home pods but we're just not sure exactly what that is yet so i'm hopeful maybe there'll be kind of a home segment at some fall event that includes HomePod, Apple TV, TVOS, but we'll see. As a pure speculation standpoint, we haven't had a Apple media event in a long time. We're running up on pretty much everything Apple announced at the last big, like here's a big sizzle reel trailer for everything coming out on TV, Apple TV plus, like yeah. that kind of thing. We haven't done it in a while and uh, we're running out of this, those things. Like, uh, and Apple likes to make a big, you know, hullabaloo about everything coming out on Apple TV plus like over the next year. So I, I would say if there was going to be any major changes to the Apple TV app um, or t- TV OS in general, that would be the place to talk about it. So obviously that's true. No places for this kind of thing. Apple doesn't hold it regularly, so they could do it ran- like July 16th. We don't know. Like it could just be a random day <laughs> in the middle of a month or, you know, the fall being heavy media season, a lot of promotions going into the winter award season and stuff like that. We could definitely see something pop up all, all that to say though apple tv plus original content two thumbs up oh yeah been watching the second season of tehran season three for all mankind i mean there's great critic reviews out there of this stuff also but i've just been personally enjoying all of that trying season three the trailer just came out so original content apple is doing great 
Absolutely. Yeah. I just finished We Crashed and honestly, I really enjoyed it. Like they're nominated for uh, Emmys or at least they're expecting nominations. I think that that one deserves it. That was actually a, a pretty fun one to watch, even though you, if you don't even care about WeWork or any of that, it was just well done characters and story development and stuff. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about something really exciting here, which is USB-C chargers <laughs> because Apple has two new USB-C chargers. These were announced during the WWDC keynote alongside the MacBook Air, but they have two dual USB-C port chargers. And so this is the first time I think that I can remember that Apple themselves has a first party multi USB-C port brick. The worst. (laughs) Awful. There's two variants of this. There's the compact version, and then there's one where you can actually swap out the plug for international plugs, you know, more like reminiscent of the older style power bricks. The compact one was tempting to me. I was like, huh, that looks pretty, you know, very low profile, would plug into a wall, very pretty flush. They're only 35 watt chargers though. These are 35 watt power bricks, both of them, and they can provide 35 watts if you're using just one port. But if you plug in two devices, each device is only going to get 17.5 watts. So this is not a fast charger at all. And both of them, they're not inexpensive. They're both $59. So $60 for a 35 watt dual USB-C port charger. While that compact one was tempting, I was like, this is not for me. I I was very close to buying it because it was like next day delivery. But then I looked around at my literal piles of anchor power bricks. And it's like, all of these bricks are better and are higher wattage. And there's really no reason for this. Like uh, I'm looking right now, anchor, they're not sponsoring this episode, but I buy a lot of their stuff. They have a USB-C charger with two USB-Cs and one USB-A, 65 watt max charging. So almost double the wattage, same exact price, plus you get an additional port. Or you can get another one from Anchor that's $35, that's 40 watts. So more wattage, much less money, almost half the price. You can get it in multiple colors, still has the USB-C uh, charging port. So I'm just not sure. I'm not sure what this is for. Yeah, if you if you really want to spend uh, sixty dollars, Satechi has. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they have a sixty-six watt three USB-C port wall charger for fifty-five dollars, and it's just yeah Apple, and their and their chargers are all you know gallium uh, nitride or whatever, so they're very compact and small. I think Apple's compact charger might secretly be that. We I, I haven't right. really paid attention to the teardowns, but yeah, no Apple, what are you doing? <laughs> this I would pay twenty-five dollars for Apple's charger and that may be like either one of them just 25 bucks because yeah you do not get any value out of these they're huge i understand the not compact one why it exists it uh, lets you use the world traveler adapter kit which is why that was included in the article yeah it lets you change out the ports if you're traveling which is cool not many things do that but uh the compact one doesn't make any sense like it's huge it has the foldable prongs but it's still very large just compared to other chargers these days and anyone who's traveling anyone who needs something something like this who needs multiple ports i would say go much bigger like i just looking at like i really like the brand like satechi's website they have like crazy ones like 165 watt usb four port four port chargers that would charge like your macbook ipad apple watch and iphone all at the same time fast charging speeds for 120 dollars you know that that fits in the size of a brick that apple sells like it's insane yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna link to all the chargers we just talked about but one of my favorites and i bought it a while ago and i still use it it's like my main charger that i keep in my bag it's from hyperjuice this is from the 
Hyperstore. It's a 100 watt GAN charger. It's got two USB-C ports and two USB-A ports, which when we travel, or my son has the Apple Watch and he's still got the USB-A to Apple Watch charger. This brick like basically charges all of our devices. I plug a MagSafe Duo charger into the two USB-C ports for my wife and I, charges our phones and Apple Watches. And then I'll use the two USB-A ports for like an iPad and an Apple Watch, or maybe even another MagSafe Duo eventually. And I just love this charger. And you can actually swap the prongs to international. So you can actually change those out, or at least they give you the adapters. So this kind of does it all. It is $100 for this, but you get 100 watts, four ports, and international. So that's one of my favorites. I, I'm a fan of the uh, the ones that I mentioned. Like it's it's a big brick, kind of like a, one of the AC power bricks like you'd get with a, a old computer or something. But yeah. it and it has a power cable and a standard AC outlet that's like four foot long that runs to the wall. And then the actual ports sit in the brick like up on your table. And then you plug into those with USB uh, cables. I find those to be like amazing, especially for hotel use because you're not going underneath the table or behind the bed to try and plug in a USB cable or, you know, it's, it just, it makes a lot more sense to me, yeah. th that design anyway. And if you're one of the, those Apple users, cause I used to be like this where I didn't like to use third party bricks and chargers because I thought for some reason, like they're going to mess it up or they're not going to be able to gauge the charging well, and it might do something funny. Like, so I was very against using third-party stuff like years ago. I would only use Apple's bricks and chargers. Let me tell you, in 2022, you don't need to do that anymore, listener. Listener, you can buy great chargers from Satechi or Anchor or Hyper, and they work great and they don't mess up your devices. So that's just a word. Do not go to a gas station and buy the $5 chargers. No, don't buy those. Do, no, don't do buy not those. do that. <laughs> no, buy one of the brands we just mentioned. They're, they're not expensive. You can get like 15 or even $20 GAN chargers uh, that work really well. So uh, basic Apple guy, if you're listening, I want to know, do you use non-Apple chargers? Let me know. Okay, uh, that's charger talk. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Super Beats Heart Chews. Listen, I am a big coffee drinker. I use caffeine for many things, especially to get going in the morning. But you could crash after caffeine and you can really only have so much caffeine in a day. So instead, use the healthier option, Super Beats Heart Chews. It's a new way to start your day. They're tasty and they give you the energy you need and they're good for you. And no more afternoon coffees and energy drinks and candy for a quick pick-me-up. You can have two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews, add them to your morning routine, and it promotes heart-healthy energy for your day without a caffeine crash. Super Beats Heart Chews are unique, clinically researched grape seed extract, promote heart-healthy energy, and normalize blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle. I actually really love the taste of the Super Beats Heart Chews. They're fun to eat, and knowing that they're good for me and my heart and give me a boost of energy, I love them. So do more for your heart and treat yourself with Super Beats Heart Chews. To make it easy to get started, you can get up to 45% off plus free shipping when you go to superbeats.com slash Apple Insider. And that's beets like the vegetable. It's the best offer available anywhere. Superbeats.com slash Apple Insider for up to 45% off. And that link is also in the episode description. You can click it there. Superbeats.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Superbeats for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Truebill. Guys, if you have not tried Truebill yet, you've got to do it. Truebill is a new app. It helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. They even have a concierge that will get them canceled so you don't have to. 
I started using Truebill, and I've told this story before. I had a storage unit that upped their prices, and the first people to notify me was not the storage unit company, but Truebill sent me a notification that a subscription had gone up. So not only will it let you know what is being subscribed to and what's hitting your credit card or debit card every month, but it'll help you unsubscribe and even tell you when those prices change. Truebill has helped over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. Go right now, Truebill, T-R-U-E-B-I-L-L, Truebill.com slash Apple Insider, and it can save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash Apple Insider. The link is also in the show notes. Our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Apple on TikTok, I want to mention they actually did a new filter that lets users on TikTok recreate kind of the AirPods, Apple Music advertising type thing where it like colors out the background and does like the silhouette stuff. And I, the only reason I want to mention this is because for all that TikTok is like somewhat controversial, a little like, mm, you know, the end of humanity as we know it. <laughs> is this company selling all of your data or just some of it? I will say that Apple is on the TikTok game. You know, I mentioned this leading up to WWDC, Apple was doing ads, like paying for ads on TikTok, advertising the WWDC keynote. And I, I tweeted that because, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, WWDC is just for developers. I'll say other people say that. But I'm like, if Apple is advertising its WWDC keynote on TikTok, yes, I'm sure there are developers on TikTok, but they are obviously trying to reach a much wider audience. And so the fact that they do paid ads on TikTok now they're doing custom filters on TikTok. I think it is interesting for a sometimes adversarial relationship Apple has with China, especially with different policies and even device sales and laws and all that kind of stuff. I find it interesting how much effort they're actually putting into the social media platform. And you say effort, but at the same time, it's one filter. <laughs> no, Whereas I know, like I know. other other brands put out like a new filter every other day. No, um, they're paying money for ads. Their social media strategy in general. It's just baffling to me. It's like their TikTok weird, guys yeah. like in a closet and he pops out every now and then. It's like, we should do a Harry Styles filter and then closes the door. <laughs> and uh, he's not heard of, you know, for another month. Um, whereas if you guys follow like Apple, like there's like 10 different brand accounts on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Look at Apple's Instagram. They are crazy active, like in stories and posting content on there. Oh, yeah. If you ever wanted like behind the scenes and stuff on like Apple TV plus, that's the place to find it. They don't advertise it. They don't talk about it, but for whatever reason, they're really active on that platform. And then you look at TikTok and like, I think Apple's accounts got videos from that weird uh, was like Lady Gaga filter mask that they had like six months ago. And that's all yes. they've done. Um, I just I don't personally use TikTok. I just wonder what like who, what their brand strategy is if they just got like one guy running 30 accounts or like and that's why they just randomly remember TikTok exists. It's it's just funny to me. I don't know. I, it is a cool filter. Um, I, yeah, it's a cool filter. Yeah, we, we have Malcolm. Uh, if you look at the article, he's he's the center photo there. Uh, <laughs> I just realized that. He stuck himself in. Pretty funny. <laughs> that is hilarious. He has a new headshot on Twitter. And I have to say, Malcolm, if you're listening, it's a very nice headshot. Yeah, he looks good in that headshot. But this filter is also hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is Twitter related. I know it's not Apple related, but, you know, Twitter is very close to the Apple world. And so Twitter is, is releasing this new feature, which is basically blogs, but on Twitter. They're creating something called notes. They, they're very specific. It's not Twitter notes. It's just called notes but it's one of Twitter's platforms. They say that Review, their newsletter system, which I actually use as becoming this or becoming a part of this, but it's a 2,500 word limit blog, basically, that you can 
create on Twitter soon. It's not available to everyone just yet, but you'll be able to like write articles, put images and GIFs, embed certain things. Twitter has one that they wrote announcing it. I think this is interesting. I thought William's headline <laughs> was hilarious. He's just roasting him. William Gallagher said, Twitter's new 2,500 word limit won't fix the attention spans it has broken. Man, it's a good headline. I think this is interesting. I'm going to try and use it because I'm, you know, you, you really only have two months to try any feature that Twitter launches because it'll probably be gone that quickly. Uh, see Twitter fleeks. I will definitely be using it because I've considered starting a blog like everyone does, I think at least 30 times. And I'm sure. like, I don't yeah. want a medium. I don't want whatever the heck the WordPress is in 2020, yeah. but I'm already on Twitter. So why not write uh, the occasional long form nonsense and throw some pictures in there? That could be fun. If it survives, I could see it being interesting. But again, it's just like any other platform. Save everything you write off yes. of Twitter because yeah. it could disappear overnight and all your stuff is just gone <laughs> so yes I, I i find twitter's experiments insane lately i mean i don't I, I think i saw this today very quickly but it looks like they're testing out short form video where you swipe up to get to the next one just like tiktok oh, no. on twitter i don't know what they're doing over there but i i guess they're they're taking the facebook approach throw everything at the wall see what sticks and keep it around i don't know yeah i i will say i do a newsletter through review and review has this option to automatically post to medium which I imagine will go away. It will probably become automatically post to Twitter notes. But I only mentioned it because I wrote a newsletter back when the Mac Studio was announced. And in the newsletter, I mentioned the Mac Studio alongside a piece of software that you usually found in churches called ProPresenter. It's like a stage display and you know audience display type, a piece of software. And for whatever reason, I posted it on my Medium. And if you search Mac Studio ProPresenter in Google, it's like the fifth result, that little like medium post that came from a newsletter. I'm not sure how that happened and why it's up there, but it is. One of the benefits of using some of these platforms like Medium, like maybe these Twitter notes, is that they could possibly be weighted heavily in search results because of the platform. So yeah, they they're they're put in the middle of the feed with everything else, and if people are liking it and sharing it, it's going to be much more popular. Whereas you share a Medium link on Twitter, how many people are going to uh, you know yeah. click on that and share it? Um, I had I had one more thing, and it is left almost as fleeting as a Twitter feature. Mm, flown the coop. Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> have to keep all that in. It's a good puns. All right. A couple things just here at the end. There's a new icon book that's available. William had the article covering it. I'll put the link in show notes, but Danish designer, Michael Flarup, Jim Nielsen, and a number of other uh, writers have put together this book covering icons of iOS apps. And it looks like a really cool book. William has some images in the article about it, but covering some icon design and app icon designs that have changed over the years, seeing some of the history. So it's pretty cool. It's 60 euros. You can get it. Uh, it doesn't include a lot of the Apple apps. Unfortunately, there might've been some like worry about copyright or whatever. So I get that. But the iOS app icon book looks pretty cool. Michael Flareup uh, is the author on the front. Looks interesting. I almost bought it like three different times. I might still buy it. Yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> I almost bought it. I almost bought it. Uh, and a couple like kind of good news stories are interesting. These always come out periodically. There was a woman swimming in the Columbia River on June 15th in Oregon, and she actually got her foot stuck in the rocks at the river's bottom. And so I guess she was treading water, but she actually called for help using her Apple Watch and authorities were able to come and rescue her. It always amazes me these different stories that come out with these like apple watch 
being able to call. These people are always leading such more interesting lives than me. You know, <laughs> person you know what, what Wesley gets his foot stuck underneath the couch in the living room, <laughs> uses Apple Watch to call 911. Yeah, yeah, that, it, it is very, you know, this is one of those things where you're probably going to see stories like this in some future like Apple Watch announcement because Apple always kind of pulls these stories for it. And one last interesting one, this was a United Kingdom man. He dropped his iPhone in a river. This was in Cinderford, Gloucestershire in August 2021. That pronunciation was for all our UK listeners. You let me know how I did. Gloucestershire. And he dropped his phone in a river. Ten months later, a guy finds it. He, he does some air compressor on it. And the iPhone still works after spending ten months at the bottom of a river. Now, the IP whatever rating is not rated for ten months at the bottom of a river. But this iPhone still worked, still turned on. And the guy who found it was able to find the owner because he posted a picture of the lock screen and social media took over after that. So those things are durable. They last for a while. Yeah. I always, always like hearing these like sinking to the bottom of a lake and they're just like happen upon this phone. It's, it's really cool. I mean, again, way beyond the normal use case. So, you know, but interesting nevertheless. Yeah. On final shout out, we had a listener, William email me little Easter egg in episode two of for all mankind. Season three is an Apple message pad. One twenty making video calls uh, in the show. So good catch. Thanks for that, William. If you see any Easter eggs in Apple TV plus original content, shoot me an email, shoot us a tweet. Love to hear from you. I, I love hearing about those Easter eggs, but they have Max and for all mankind. Uh, they started popping up in season two. Cause that takes place over 1980s. I'm assuming cause what they've written so far that the listener goes on to ask the question, you know, do you think Steve jobs uh, actually got left, uh, got fired or got kicked out of Apple in that timeline? And from what I can tell, um, everything Apple does is at least the same, if not nearly the same, because the advances in technology are all space related or, right. you know, Velcro or electric cars. Um, the home personal computer is different because of like the FaceTime cameras and stuff that like technologies that can go into these devices has changed. But I think the evolution of the personal computer stays nearly the same. Like they do a video call on this message pad, which was not possible <laughs> in 1995 right. uh, when the message pad 120 originally came out. So it came out three years earlier in this timeline. So like that kind of stuff is accelerated, but um, the fact that the message pad exists at all in this timeline probably yeah. shows that <laughs> Steve Jobs is not there. So <laughs> just fun. If you haven't seen For All Mankind, it's a revisionist history of how, you know, what would have happened if we would have continued the space race and put all of our efforts into it, making it to Mars in like the 1990s kind of thing. And William was asking, you know, would Steve Jobs have been ousted? I think to Wes's point, consumer technology is not advancing as quickly in that show's description of revisionist history. But I will say I was listening to the smart list podcast. I don't typically listen to like celebrity related podcasts, but I've kind of gotten hooked on it. The smart list podcast is like with Will Arnett, Jason Bateman. It's uh, pretty funny, but they had Neil deGrasse Tyson on who's an astrophysicist, and he talks about space all the time. I really like Neil deGrasse Tyson, but they asked him, will we ever make it to Mars? And Neil's answer which this was like months ago before For All Mankind season three came out. Neil's answer was, if there is ever a geopolitical motivation for us to get to Mars, then we will, and we will do it quickly. And I think that was a very telling description because as we can see in season three for All Mankind, because there are geopolitical elements or motivations for the US to push into space, they are putting tons of funding and manpower and research into it, and it's moving quickly. And it seems like even Neil deGrasse Tyson believes, yeah, we could get there 
probably in the next few years, but there has to be some kind of geopolitical motivation for a country to pour that much resource into an endeavor like that uh, for whatever reason. So I thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah, One Guy's Wallet and uh, Fanciful Dreams, as great as it is, that, that's still decades out from actually achieving reality. Sure, we could probably get a guy to Mars uh, by in the next 10 years or so um, using you know private space uh, flight and whatnot. It's just war, political issues, stuff like that will always accelerate technology 10 times faster because the U.S. government has untold amounts of money that they can just throw at a problem to see it done. So like for all mankind, the reason why a lot of this stuff is even able to happen is because not only is the U.S. government pouring money into NASA where it never did in our timeline, because once we got to the moon, we kind of shrugged and just pulled all the funding out from NASA by the 90s. They're also selling patents for like charging vehicles and microwave technology, which NASA never did, which is a, a, another little fun tidbit from that show. If y'all aren't yeah. watching it, really, it's probably one of the best shows on Apple TV Plus next to uh, Ted Lasso or The Morning Show. If you've not watched any Apple TV Plus original show, try for all mankind, start from the beginning. It's a really good show. That's all. All right. Well, thanks all for listening. Tweet your questions, your thoughts at us. Wes and I's Twitter handles are in the show notes. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast. Give you a shout out at the top of the show. And of course, you can support the show, patreon.com slash Apple Insider, or directly in Apple Podcast to get an ad-free version of the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.